Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right, good morning, everybody. It is so good to see you guys. And as we have already told you a couple times this week, in two weekends, we are going to start the at the movies, okay? And I want you to know, yes, we are all like very excited. We have had more fun making these at the movies for you guys this year than I think any other year. I may say that every year, but I mean it every year. This is going to be so much fun, so awesome, such a great outreach. I'm going to talk more about that next weekend and kind of how you can fully engage that and how God wants to use the message I'm going to share with you today to really take it to the next level, even next weekend, as we answer this question, why we do what we do, why we do what we do. It is so important for you and I to know the why behind the what. We, we, we do lots of what's. We do lots. Of, you know, whenever somebody asks you what you do, you tell them what you do, right? What you do as a mom or a dad, what you do at home, what you do at work. This is what I do. But it's so important when you know the why, like here's why I do what I do. Oh, my goodness. You have so much greater impact with your what. You have so much more purpose behind the hard, difficult, challenging days that we're all going to have behind the what we do every day. We need to know the why. So we're really just taking that question and applying it to this relationship with God that we're challenging you every weekend to take another step in this relationship with God, to take the next step in growing in your relationship with God or taking a step towards God if you have no faith in God. That's great. We're so glad you're here that you're considering it. You're thinking about it, right? So we started kind of last week with the question, what's the why behind being a Christian? There's a lot of confusion around this word Christian, these days. There's just a lot of baggage. There's a lot of, not even a lot of agreement around what does it mean to be a Christian? What, is it, what does it look like? How you, should you act if you're a Christian? And we talked about there's actually a good reason for that. And we can all argue about why we think it is, but historically, there's some real specific things that we can point to. One of them is, is that the word Christian is never defined in the Bible. It's only mentioned three times, and every three, all three times, it was outsiders describing people who are on the inside of faith, and it was a derogatory term is how it started, actually, by the Romans calling those who followed uh, the teaching of Jesus Christians. And what was interesting is that God never used this word to describe his people. Jesus never used this word to describe his followers, not one time. As a matter of fact, Jesus, as we discovered last week, used a much different term, a lot more specific, a lot more personal, and way more convicting, okay? Here's the word he used instead of Christian. He used the word disciple. Disciple. And we, we talked about that it means a pupil, a, a learner, a follower. And we kind of latched on to this idea of it is, this is, in, in its essence, what it means to follow Jesus, to follow his lead, to follow what he taught, to, to follow the belief system that he put out, the worldview that he put out there. And he's the only person in all of history who claimed not just to be the son of God, who claimed that he was going to die for the sins of all people, then resurrect from the dead. And then he did it, okay? He pulled it off. It puts him in a category all by himself. Nobody's ever done that before. He does it, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people saw him after the resurrection. 
And it's a, it's a remarkable thing. But Jesus says, listen, I want to define what it means to be a disciple. Let me get real specific here. And on the, the, uh, right after the, the Last Supper, right before the Passover meal, right before the crucifixion of Jesus, he had gathered together his 12 disciples and many other people who were interested in being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And he says, let me spell it out for you. Let me make it real clear, abundantly clear, what I mean when I say disciple. Let me give you the one distinguishing factor that ought to make people, when they see you, go, oh, she's a Christ follower. Oh, he's a follower of Jesus. He's a, he's a Jesus person. She's a Jesus person. Look at, look, at, look, at, look at this one. Here's this one thing that sets you apart from everybody else. Let me, let me lay it out for you. In John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, here's what Jesus said. He says, as I have loved you, so you must, you must love one another. That's the standard. He says, and by this, this one distinction, this one thing that I'm talking about, the way I loved you, by this, everyone will know you are my disciple, not Christian, disciple, much more specific, disciples, if, if you love one another, all right? So that was the big kind of aha last week to say, this is what Jesus, this was really important to him. He's like, I want you to use this word, I want you to define it this way, and I want you to make this a life goal. This is going to change your worldview, this is going to change how you treat people, it's going to change everything. When you see the way I related to God, that's the way I want you to relate to God. The way I related to people, that's the way I want you to relate to people. But I want you to love them the way I loved you. So it begs the question, how did Jesus love people, right? Now we could just say, a lot, you know? All right, let's pray and go home. Okay, but... There's more to it than that. Sacrificially, absolutely. He, pr- he loved people with his whole life. But we're going to kind of get down into the nitty-gritty, dig a little deeper, and look at what was it. Because there's this tension behind the way people were loved by Jesus, the way that he approached people. Even really hard to love people, really complicated human situations, Jesus shows the way in which he loves over and over and over again. There's this tension, there's this kind of tug. And what's interesting, and this is happening to us right down to this moment, it happens in my life and it happens in yours, because we as human beings don't like tension so much, we want to resolve the tension So we try to lean to one side or the other of the way in which Jesus loved. We tend to go to churches that lean on one side or the other of the way in which Jesus loved. But here's my warning to you this morning. If we lean to one side, we give up one part of the other of the way that Jesus loved, we give up something that is so important about Jesus' love. It's not worth it. We need to understand both ends and how to represent them well as Jesus did. And this is what he did. And I hear people all the time here, even at Brazos Fellowship, that will don't even realize it, but they, they represent this tension that I'm talking about. They'll leave out of a service and they'll say, wow, I really loved that service. It was so challenging. It was convicting. Kind of made me feel uncomfortable, but I can't wait to come back. It's almost like, well, which is it? Were you uncomfortable and you, you know, like didn't like, or are you, are you coming back? Well, it's both. I, I felt, you know, like that, and I also feel like this. Well, wh- what is that? That's kind of an interesting dynamic, because usually places that make you feel uncomfortable, you don't want to come back, right? You don't ever want to come back, and there's something about it that draws us back, and you see this with the people that Jesus interacted with all the time. 
Now, as we look at the Gospel of John this morning, I want to just point out a couple things about this Gospel writer. John was now much older. This was kind of in his later years. Years and years had gone by. This is the oldest of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. These are all accounts of Jesus' life, his work, his teaching. And John writes this in his older years as he's had a chance to reflect over everything that Jesus taught, everything that he did. He saw all these miracles. He saw thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who had come to faith in Jesus Christ, even after his ascension, his resurrection and ascension. He saw probably not that many, but probably hundreds and hundreds that had died as martyrs for the faith in Jesus Christ. He had seen all kinds of things in his life. And now reflecting back on who Jesus was and what he did and the way in which, the unique way in which he loved people, here's what he says in John chapter 1, verse 14. Let's take a look at this together. He says, the word, and this is a metaphor for Jesus, the word, the logos, this authority, spoken truth of God became flesh. He became a human and made his dwelling among us. He We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of, let's say it together, full of grace and truth. You see the tension? Grace and truth. Grace and truth. Well, which is it? It's both. It's not 50-50. It's full and complete, total. That was Jesus. He was full of grace and truth. Let me illustrate it this way. That when Jesus came, over and over, his statement to people, the way he loved them, the way he treated them, he showed grace, right? And he showed truth. And these make different statements. Truth comes out and says, listen, you're broken. You're messed up, right? And grace comes right behind and says, you're forgiven. Truth says, hey... I'm going to be honest with you. You got a lot of work to do. All right. I don't know if you've really looked at your life in a while, but you you need to be working on you, right? All right. And Grace comes back and says, "Listen, it's going to be okay. It'll be all right." And Truth says, "Listen, you're going to be accountable for everything you have ever done, ever said, anything, everything that you've ever it's ever occurred in your life that you chose." And Grace says, "I will love you no matter what." Both are 100% accurate, and both are 100% necessary when it comes to our relationship with God and with loving other people. And ladies and gentlemen, this approach of grace and truth is why we do what we do. It is why we love people the way we love people, to offer them grace and truth simultaneously. It's messy. Sometimes it feels confusing. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it totally even makes sense. And I want to show you some things from the New Testament today that I hope will help clarify a little bit of what we're talking about here. Because every single one of us in this room, just because of our personality type, because of the temperament of who you are, the person that you are, you are going to tend to, I tend to, lean towards grace or truth. We want to pick a side. We want to resolve the tension. We want it to be over with. And you could say, well, that didn't even start with me. Well, when you think about growing up in your home, 
Isn't it true that you probably had a mama and daddy or whoever it was, maybe a grandma or whoever it was that raised you, there was a, there was a Mr. or Ms. Grace, right, in the house, and then there was somebody that was not so gracious to you, right, that was quick to tell the truth, even if it hurts your feelings, right? It was a little bit difficult to be around that person. But if you grew up in a healthy home, you had big and good doses of both, because we need both. This is the way Jesus loved. This is the way he approached it. And what John is going to show us today, this is so beautiful. He's, he's, he's going to show us, I have watched Jesus over and over and over, all kinds of complicated human situations. And every single time, Jesus doesn't just bring one, he brings both. There's a tension there. There's both going on. And it's just kind of amazing and incredible to watch. It's so unique from the way that people normally love each other. But if I can be really honest, I tend to lean to one side or another, depending on the situation. Whenever I got somebody, I need to tell them what to do. Oh, I want a verse on the truth. Here's what you need to do. Here's chapter and verse. I'm going to win this argument. I'm going to tell you what's right, and you're going to go home and thank me for it, okay? Here's the truth, right? That's what I want when I'm, when I'm in that mode. But when I have blown it, and now I owe God and somebody an apology or maybe a lot of somebody's. I want verses on grace and how God forgives and he has second chances and his heart is compassionate and he is merciful. Oh my goodness, yes, give me the grace verses. But we all tend to lean one side or another, but what we need is both. And as we come to the New Testament the, the Gospel of John tells us in verse 17, he, he, he brings it up again here just a couple of verses later. He says, for the law was given through Moses. The law that God says, here's what I want you to do as my people to be set apart from all others. I'm going to give you a law. You're familiar with the Ten Commandments. God gave Moses that along with many other rules that he wanted them to follow. But Jesus came and he gives us a whole new landscape for a relationship with God. He came, let's say it together, with grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth, this tension. So the question is, what does that kind of love look like? Let's look at a couple of scenarios. What I'd like to do right now is look at three scenarios from the New Testament of how Jesus demonstrates this grace and truth. Because I'm telling you, if you're sitting here today, even if you're not a Christian, but you've been struggling in a relationship in your life. First of all, a relationship with God is vital to helping any relationship get back on track. But no relationship can be healthy without both of these. And we're going to look at what we mean by that in just a little bit. But here's what I'd like to do. I want to start by saying, I'm going to give you three of the, these stories, and I'm going to just verbally walk through them. What I'd like for you to do, to give you a little homework, I want you to go home and read these. Read them today. Read them this week sometime. Take some time on your own. They'll be so much more meaningful, and you're going to pick up on things that I do not have the time to go into and explain. But our, the nuances of these stories are just so powerful and beautiful. The first one is in John chapter 4, the Gospel of John chapter 4. And we find Jesus in the middle of the day by himself. The disciples have gone on uh, to the next town, and he decides he's going to go to this well. It's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. It's in this region called Samaria near this little town called Sychar. And he's out there in the middle of the day. It is hot, 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 like a hot Texas July day. And he's in the middle of the day. He's out there at this, um, at this well. 
but he doesn't have anything to get the water out. So he sees a woman coming. She comes over. She is a Samaritan. And one of the things that we're, we can pick up just culturally about this woman is the fact that she's coming to get water in the middle of the day, which means she doesn't come with the, the normal traditional approach, which is all the women would come out early in the morning and in the evening before dinner. And it was kind of a social event when they would catch up, talk about kids, what's going on in the village, all this kind of stuff. But she's by herself, which says that she's a social and moral outcast. There's something about this woman that is threatening to and uncomfortable to be around for the other women. So they have kicked her out of the club. She is all by herself, and she's coming out. She's not the kind of woman that a rabbi, a teacher, would normally be talking to. And on top of that, Jews just didn't talk to Samaritans, just as a general rule. But Jesus is not going to play by those rules. Jesus is, he's breaking all that down, and he strikes up a conversation with her, showing grace right off the bat. He knows who she is. She knows what's going on. He starts talking to her. She offers water to him. Let me get you some water. She, he has a drink. He says, hey, why don't you go get your husband? It's Sychar. Come back. I'd love to meet him. She says, actually, I'm not married. He said, you're right in telling me that. You've actually been married five times, and the guy you're living with right now won't have you. He won't marry you. In other words, Jesus just spoke truth to her and brought up maybe one of the most shameful, painful things in her life. So difficult. In other words, what he's saying is that as an adult woman, you have been chasing after these male relationships that have not satisfied you, and you have not found what you're looking for. And man after man after man, it's not working, is it? And then in the process of the conversation, he shares something with her that he has never told anybody out loud up to this point in the Gospels. He says, I am the, the Messiah. I'm the Savior of the world. And the living water that you are longing for, for your soul, the, the thing that would really truly satisfy what you thirst for in your soul, I'm going to offer it to you today. I'm going to give you what you're looking for. This is the kind of living water that no man could ever satisfy for you. And it's going to change your life. And it did. And this woman who have no credibility in her town whatsoever, goes back to Sychar and invites everybody, everybody to come out and meet Jesus. And they do. And Jesus, through grace and truth, changes her life in this little scenario. The next one I want to point you to is in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. And this is a moment where Jesus is literally hanging on the cross. He's dying for the sins of all mankind. And we're told that there was a thief on a cross to his left and another thief on his right. And the thief on his left yells out, Listen, Jesus, aren't you supposed to be a Messiah? Why don't you save yourself and save us too? And the other one yells back to the former thief. And he says, Don't you understand? We're getting what we deserve. The life that we have chosen has led to this point. All of our choices has led us to this execution. But he is an innocent man, and he does not deserve to be there. Here's the one thing that's peculiar about two thieves being hung on crosses next to Jesus. That's not usually how the Romans dealt with thieves, unless they were the worst of the worst. 
Like they were so violent that they couldn't work, they couldn't row in a Roman galley, or they couldn't work in the mines. They usually would be sent to one of those two places to just work out the rest of their days, but they didn't do that. They killed them, which meant they were incredibly, like the worst of the worst criminals of their day. And he's trying to say, don't you understand? We chose this. He is being, it chose for him. It was put on him. And he says to Jesus, he says, Lord, remember me. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Like, I realize I'm a sinner, and I want you. I want your kingdom. I, have, I want whatever you're offering, Jesus. In other words, he spoke the truth, and Jesus didn't argue with him at all. And then Jesus speaks to this repentant thief on the cross. And he says this in verse 43. He says, today, when we die, we will be together. Think about that. We're going to be together. The worst of the worst and the best of the best. We're going to be together in paradise, in heaven, today. I know you only have like a minute and a half left on the clock. It's counting down quickly. Your life is almost over. You got nothing to give to God. That's okay. I'm going to offer you grace that you do not deserve right now. It's going to change everything for you. And that's how Jesus did it. He was willing to face the truth, and Jesus offered him grace. And back in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, we come to one of the most unique and amazing, complex human situations right down to this day. Painful, difficult, the ramifications are so damaging. But Jesus is, early in the morning, we're told, he's in the temple courts and he's teaching a group of people. And the teachers of the law, the experts in the law, and the Pharisees have found a couple who were committing adultery, okay? They grab the woman out of the situation that morning and drag her down the streets and bring her to the temple and throw her on the floor in front of Jesus, in front of all the people, and these religious, Jewish religious leaders ask a question. They're always trying to trip Jesus up. They're always trying to get rid of him. He was a threat to them because people were following him instead of them. They felt like they were losing power. They felt like they were losing influence in the city. They wanted to get rid of him. So they ask this question. They say, Moses, Moses commanded in the Old Testament, which everyone believed, Jesus included, all the Jews believed that what Moses got was a law from God. So in other words, they're saying God said through Moses in the Old Testament, God said through Moses that this kind of a woman ought to be stoned to death. But what do you say, Jesus? Do you say we should kill her right here? And Jesus, he could have said this. He said, well, actually, the law of Moses also says the man should be here right now. I don't know if you know this, but affairs don't happen with just one person. So, and also, under Roman law, we're not allowed to kill anybody without the permission of the Romans. And we've got to get that done, taken care of first. We can't just start killing people on the street. That's not how it works. They knew all of that. They're just trying to put him on the spot. Jesus doesn't bring up any of that. We're told that he bends over, writes in the dirt. I wish we knew what he wrote. I think that's so curious and interesting that he does that. We don't know what he wrote, but he stands up, straightens up his back, and he says, I'll tell you this, the one here who has no sin, no sin at all, you've never sinned. And, and, and considering the context of what was going on with this woman who's crumpled onto the floor, he was probably talking about anyone here who has never committed adultery in your heart. In other words, you've never lusted after someone, had a fantasy about someone that's not your spouse, ever. 
ever, right? If that's you, you're perfect in all the ways, then you can pick up the first stone and cast it at her. And the gospel writer John says, and one by one, they all left. Everybody left. Where it's just Jesus and this woman who is just in a pile of tears and shame and guilt on the ground. And he speaks to her so compassionately. In verse 10, Jesus asked her, he says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Do you see the tension? Neither do I condemn you, grace. Go and leave your life of sin, truth. Girl, don't live like this anymore. This is a trap. It's killing you. It is bleeding the life out of you. This is not the way God intended for you to live. It's horrible. It's no good, right? God's got better. I want you to... So you may look at this and you say, okay, well, which is it, Jesus? Do I not condemn you? I forgive you. You go. You're not, you know, you're, you've been forgiven. Or do not, you know, leave your life of sin. So is it sin or is it not? Yes, it's sin. But you're also forgiven. It's the tension. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, if we are going to take seriously, we're going to love like Jesus, then we have to take a serious look at the way in which Jesus loved people. And when we look at the way Jesus loved people and the way that He lived out, love one another as He commanded us, He showed it with grace and truth, both equally at the same time, that Jesus spoke on behalf of the Father. He was God in the flesh, we're told. And He came and He says, I'm going to call sin a sin, and then I'm going to give my life to forgive it. I'm going to give my life to pay for it. Because the, the truth is, you're a sinner. And the grace is, I love you. And you can be forgiven. Man, what an incredible, amazing dichotomy that we see present in the love of Jesus. That he says, this is the way we do it. But we have to bring both completely. Because if you have truth without grace, then you lack compassion. Truth without grace, it lacks compassion. There's no warmth. It doesn't feel like love. Well, I told them the truth. I got up in their grill, and I gave them a piece of my mind, and I quoted scripture, and I gave them the truth. Yeah, and you probably totally destroyed the relationship, and they may never speak to you again. I've seen families completely fall apart. Dads and children that hardly ever speak again. Moms and children, never speak again. Because, oh, I told them the truth. Well, you did it with no love, right? No compassion. It destroyed the relationship. But conversely, that um, grace without truth, it lacks courage. It lacks courage. Because true love is willing to tell the truth. It's willing to tell the truth, even if it makes the other person uncomfortable, it challenges them, it even offends them. We, can we say that anymore in our day, that we can say the truth even if it happens to offend somebody? Jesus did that all the time, right? Not because he didn't love people, but because he did love people. He told them the truth. And when we speak the truth in love 
and compassion that before you bring the truth hard, you better make sure they know you love them and that they have felt it and they, they don't question it. They need, you need to make sure those are coming together equally, complete, totally, embodied, just like with Jesus. Do your best to give it over because we are the representation, the church of Jesus Christ, the representation of Jesus and his love to the world. And we must hold on to this tension between grace and truth if we want to have a prayer of a chance of having the attention and the influence over a world that desperately needs God. We've got to show both. And if we give up one or the other, we give up something so critical and so important about the way Jesus loved people. We give up something important about who he was. So important. And John closes this little passage with verse 18 where he says this, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father and has made him known. And how did Jesus make the Father known? Through grace and truth, loving that way. My question for you today is, where do you tend to lean? Where do you need to ask God to say, God, you got to give me the courage to speak the truth a little more often. I'm all about the grace. I'll let people slide. I don't really ever hold them accountable. I don't like confrontation. But it's not loving to just do this and never speak the truth. That is one of the most unloving things. If you see somebody standing on a train track and the train's coming and you don't say anything, that's not loving. You need to say something. The reason we speak the truth is because sin always, not sometimes, always brings pain and suffering in this life and in the life to come. Sin not just does that, but brings eternal death, separation from God. We've got to speak up. And the reason that we show grace and we speak words of grace is because everybody, no exception, everybody needs forgiveness and compassion. Everybody does. Everybody. This is why we can't forfeit either one. We have to have both and complete. And right now, what I'd like to ask you to do is to pray with me this application prayer right here. It's simply saying, Jesus, help me to love with grace and truth. I tend to lean to one side over the other. Help me to become or to be more like you, complete, total. I receive your grace and truth today. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.